in. All right, check this out. There's this old man and he lay uh, dying in his bed and he was just about ready to pass on, Ron, when all of a sudden, get this, he smelled the aroma of his favorite chocolate chip cookies wafting up the stairs, man. And, and, and so he gathered his remaining strength upon and he, he lifted himself up from his bed there and he's, he's leaning against the wall and he's slowly making his way out of the bedroom there and, and he, he's carefully gripping the hand railing with both hands as he's crawling literally downstairs. And, and once there, he gazes into the kitchen and listen, if it were not for death's agony, he would have thought himself already in heaven because right there spread out on wax paper on the kitchen table were hundreds, I mean hundreds, of his favorite chocolate chip cookies. And he was sitting there going, is this heaven? Is this heaven? Or is this just one final act of heroic love from his devoted wife seeing to it that he left this world a happy man? Surely that must be the reason. So mustering one final great effort, he, he, he threw himself towards the table and, and he, he landed on his knees in this rumpled posture and he, his, his parched lips are parting there and the wondrous taste of the cookie was already in his mouth, seemingly bringing him back to life and his age withered hand trembled uh, its way towards the edge of the cookie at the edge of the table when suddenly it was smacked by a spatula from his wife that said, stay out of those, those are for the funeral. Listen, that was not Orson and Jeanette. They're both here. They're in great health. I had to dispel that. But how many guys would say that couple's marriage probably wasn't going to end on a very high note there? Spatula gives it away, okay? And folks, how many guys have learned that when it comes to marriage, man, sometimes rather than being filled with these chocolate confections, if you will, sometimes they're filled with some crumbled expectations, you know what I'm saying? And apparently that's why one guy said this. Listen to what he said. He says, listen, marriage, if you think about it, marriage is the only sport in which the trapped animal has to buy the license. Okay, never mind. But seriously, folks, once again, is this the kind of relationship that God had in mind when he instituted marriage back in the Garden of Eden? He did it. No, is the answer. Absolutely not. Now, here's the good news. We, first of all, need to acknowledge that Adam and Eve blew it in the Garden of Eden, so they blew it for the chances of having a perfect marriage. But here's the good news, Christian. God's got his good word. Follow his good plan. You can have a good marriage. The good news is this, folks, even though you and I, Christian, might not have a perfect marriage, that does not mean we have to resign ourselves to a life of personal pain and silent suffering. It just means it's going to take some time and it's going to take some work, okay? Because contrary to the lie of society, marriages are not made in heaven where they made. Right here. They're built here on earth. Therefore, we're going to continue in our study, a marriage built to last, okay? Just to recap, we've already seen that first step in building that lasting marriage. Give it up for the Oz McCauley Show. Men and women are different. You got that one down yet, Oz? The silence was deadly. But anyway, that's right. He's still working on it. But he's getting there. I have faith in him. Uh, the second step, of course, we saw is that love is an action, not just a feeling. The third step, we need to acknowledge the need for romance, not just before you get mar married. Hello, after marriage, it comes in handy. The fourth step we saw was the need for communication. The fifth one was the, the need for reconciliation. Come back together again in love and friendship after that turmoil. The sixth one was the need for honor. And of course, the seventh one we saw was the need for intimacy. And then if you were here last time, we saw the eighth one was the need for not just men, but who? Biblical men is what we need. And what we saw there, the premise was, listen, not just if marriages are going to stop decaying, but if society is going to stop decaying, we need not just men, we need 
biblical men. And specifically, the Bible says, here's what it is. These are the kind of men who are sacrificial leaders. Not just leaders. They are sacrificial leaders. They are spiritual leaders. They are secure leaders. And hello, they are sensitive leaders as well. Okay? But that's not all. I'm still preaching on it, Junior. So guess what? There's got to be more. Junior, you got on the ball. That's right. There is more. And that's right, ladies. It is your turn. Hopefully you can guess the title of this one. The ninth step to building that lasting marriage is, that's right, we also have a need for guess who? Biblical women. Biblical women is what we need, okay? And this is the problem, folks. Another reason why I truly am convinced that we're not just seeing marital decay, but we are seeing societal decay is because not just men, but even the women are refusing to be women, specifically God's women. That's the problem that we're seeing and everything's falling apart. And if that wasn't bad enough, even when women try to become women, specifically godly women, God's women, which is the right way, society is out there giving you ladies the wrong definition or role model of what makes for that godly, successful woman. Okay, and let me give you a couple examples. For instance, most people in our society think that a true woman, okay, is one who's more modern in her thinking, the modern woman, okay? And uh, this is the lady that uh, downplays the traditional role of being a homemaker and she only needs a man for, you know, the bedroom and that's it. Another role that society throws out there to you ladies is the hardcore feminist. Okay, and this is the loud, independent, rough, tough lady declaring to the world that she is woman, she is strong, she can choose 16 penny nails all day long. Don't mess with her. Helen Reddy University is where these people graduate from apparently. And then they give you another woman that supposedly another woman uh, is like this, a, a verbal tyrant, a um, kind of give you a visual, a, a Roseanne Barr type lady. You know what I'm saying? One of those, remember that show? Uh, she puts up with nothing and she's always sarcastic and negative and, and she shreds people apart with her words, puts them down. Show them who's the one, who's the real boss, who really wears the pants of the family. That's your role models today. Now, here's the problem. I hope this doesn't come as a surprise, especially here at sunrise. Don't bring another tear to my eye. How many of you guys realize that none of those ladies are real? Are really specifically, here's the point, God's ladies, God's women, okay? And this is the problem, folks. That's what's happening. And if marriages, I'm convinced, are going to be restored and society put back on track, we do not need a need for any more of those kind of ladies. We need biblical ladies, women who will be the kind of women that God has called you to be and made you to be. Now, here's the problem. Everybody's mixed, uh, mixed up, even in the church. People don't even know, what's a biblical man? What's a... We don't know anymore because really we say that we follow this book. But in practice, we don't. And what we do is we follow the media and the educational system and our peer group, and that's it. So it leaves us, even in, as weird as it sounds, in the church, we got to get back to what's defined then biblically. So there's no questions. What does a biblical woman look like then? How do we know? Well, Thanks for asking, Janet. You're on the ball. The first characteristic of a biblical woman is she's a nurturing support. This is awesome. This is great. She's a nurturing support. You want to be that godly woman? You want to be that successful woman that brings that smile on God's face? You be a nurturing support system. But I didn't say that. God did. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. Okay, Genesis chapter 2. This is cool. This is cool. Now, if you find the first page of the Bible, what do you do? Open it. It's a good step. Yes, thank you, Bobby. The prophet Bobby has spoken. Uh, chapter 2 should be page 2, most likely. Unless your font is size 2, it might be squished on the first page, but I seriously doubt that. Uh, Genesis chapter 2, let's take a look uh, at our context. What makes, what's God's purpose? Why, what was the design b- behind making the woman? Let's take a look. Verse 18 is where we're going to start with there. 
verse 18 to 23, Genesis chapter 2. All right, here's what it says. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. How many ladies can say amen? Okay. Now, so here's what God's going to do. I'm going to make a helper suitable for him or a helpmate. That's your role. I didn't do that. God did. That's his design. He says, so I'm going to do that for him. Now, the Lord God formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and the birds of the air, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. Uh, so, so man gave names to all the livestock and the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable, here's that word, what? Helper was found. God had him name the animals to show him his need. Okay. And so then God went to action. So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and he closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. And the man said, you tell me if Adam's not excited. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called, whoa, man. I think that was the inspiration there, right? For she was taken out of man. Okay, he's excited, right? Now, folks, we all know that women have a certain mysteriousness about them. Have you noticed that? Okay, and I'm going to bring up one thing that I've noticed. Why is it that a woman can take hot boiling wax, pour it on her upper thigh, rip the hair out by the root, and yet still be afraid of a spider? Have you noticed that? That's kind of mysterious. Okay, but according to our text, what should not be a mystery, what should not be a mystery, is how women are called to be the nurturing support of the family. And this is what's cool, ladies. Listen. You being the support system of the home, listen, has been God's design from the very beginning. And we know that from a couple of different things. And the first way is because it's woven into your name. Into your name. I'm not making this up. This is, this is cool. I, but don't accuse me of making this up. The word mother, <laughs> the word mother in the Hebrew, <laughs> it literally means wide in the hips. I'm not making it up. The word mother means wide in the hips. Literally, listen, a support. That's what it means. And so what God is doing in the very core of your name, the woman, the mother, you are, listen, the foundation, the support system, right? The foundation, the support system that is needed for the internal care of the home so the home doesn't fall apart. Isn't that awesome? And if you put this together with the God's wisdom we saw last week, the husband is called to provide and protect for the outside of the home. Listen, the wife, the mother, is the foundation, the support to provide the stability for the inside of the home. It's perfect. It's like peanut butter and jelly. It's awesome. Leave it alone. Let each one do their thing. Put them together. Wow. It's almost like God knows what he's doing. Isn't that cool? Okay. The second reason why we know you're called to be nurturing supporters is because it's in your nature. It's the way you're wired. And God is the one who's wired you, okay? Women in general uh, tend to be, obviously you guys tend to be more detailed, okay? You tend to be more sympathetic, and you tend to be more expressive with your emotions, okay? Now, this just happens to come in handy when it comes to providing that internal uh, foundational nurturing support and care for the family. Because I don't know if you noticed this or not, but ladies, you seem to have this innate nurturing built-in device. Okay, that when you see a need in the home, when you see something, you, you, you've got to offer advice, right? You, you've got to provide this care, okay? Now, sometimes it's better late than never, but you're wired to provide that nurturing advice. Like this guy shares. Let's take a look. 
Like, I'm driving away from my, from my parents' house recently. It's a 10-hour drive home. My mom's out on the porch waving goodbye. She says, all right, y'all get tired. You can stay at a hotel. If you're hungry, get you something to eat, okay? Wait, let me get a pen and paper, Ma. These are some real nuggets of wisdom you're throwing out here. You're like a Jedi master over there, yeah. Hey, Yoda, what happens if they get thirsty? What do we do then? Sometimes parents, we just fail at advice. I remember my mom when I was a kid. She used to give me good advice too late. Think about it. Good advice too late. Like when I was a kid, I hit my head on the corner of the table. Careful. Boy, I'm sure glad you were there, Hoss. Who knows what would have happened, Nostradamus? Moms are a big help when you lose something, aren't they? Your mom is just not a help at all. Hey, Mom, I can't find my wallet. Well, it's got to be somewhere. Like, that's good. I thought I was going crazy for a minute. I thought I was looking for something that didn't exist. Thank you. And then they go, where'd you leave it last? You're good. Thanks, Captain Obvious. I was on a totally different track. I was looking where I left it. Ladies, you ever make any of those statements? <laughs> Absolutely. Sounds familiar, right? Why? Because this is how God has wired you. It's not just woven into your name. It's woven into your nature. You just have this innate, you just got to offer this advice. You just got to help. You just got to take care of, okay? And listen, ladies, this doesn't just help with care of the kids. I'm telling you, it helps us for men as well. Now, granted, we might not tell you that, and we may not admit that, but it does. And so God knows that. And so he created you to meet that need. That's what he says. It's not good for men to be alone. Amen. Okay, right? So God created you, the helpmate. Listen, the helpmate. You, the woman, to provide the necessary nurturing internal care for the well-being of the home and the family. It's fantastic. Okay, now here's the problem. Even though God's wired you for that, he's made you for that wonderful ministry. Okay, that doesn't mean that all ladies do that. Have you noticed that? That's what's unfortunate. That's why marriages and societies crumbling apart. Just like with the guys when we don't fulfill what we're called to do. And the first reason why is because that old booger of a sin nature. Okay, Our, that old sin nature, ladies. And, and you see, being a wife and a mother is a lot of hard work. All two of you are that are awake. All right. And so here's the problem. It, it keeps you on the run. And so sometimes you're tempted to look for nothing else but fun elsewhere. And, and instead of investing your nurturing care into the needs of the family, uh, you get tricked into spending all your time with sinful society. The, the, the second reason why some ladies never become these nurturing supporters, even though you can, you're wired for it, is because of the influence of our sinful society. Not just society, our sinful society. 
And our sinful societies out there, lady, is encouraging you right and left, listen, not to be nurturing supporters of the home, but rather, ladies, who are the more modern in your thinking, you are not tied down to anything or anyone or any man or any kids, and you're always on the road. A society, our society's gotten so bad, listen, they would say, ladies, that a woman, listen to this, this is what they're saying, a woman who gets married, who decides to have children, and then be a stay-at-home mom, they say, you're some sort of a half-wit disgrace to your gender. But I've got news for you, ladies, the true influence of shaping society, listen, does not start in the halls of learning, it starts in the halls of home. That is where the true power and influence lies to shape the next generation. I like what this guy, he said, listen to this, ladies. You're getting robbed of your powerful influence you could have on the next generation. He said this, he says, a godly mother, listen, a godly mother is worth more than a hundred pastors. Why? Because that's where the true powerful influence lies. You're around them the most and you could use that to shape the next generation. Therefore, I'd encourage you, ladies, if you ever come across another woman, with all due respect, who downplays your role of motherhood, you need to do what this guy's wife did. Listen to this, true story. Uh, he said, there's those who've made staying at home and raising children a priority are often made to feel like their lives are being wasted or they could do more significant things. He said, when I was a member of a faculty at an Ivy League university, my wife and I were expected to get to these staff get-togethers with my colleagues and their spouses. And, and on one, and more than one occasion, uh, they'd always come up to my wife in what appeared to be a very condescending matter. And they would say, and what is it you do? And my wife, he says, who's one of the most articulate persons I know, found a perfect response for such occasions. And in machine gun fashion, she would reply, oh, here's what I'm doing. I'm socializing two homo sapiens into the dominant values of the Judeo-Christian tradition so they might become transformers of the social order into the kind of eschatological utopia that God willed for us from the beginning of time. And then my wife would smile back at them and say, and what is it you do? And they would come back and say, I teach sociology. <laughs> Ladies, I'm telling you, I'm encouraging you today, don't give in to society's lie that downplays your awesome ministry of being a nurturing support system for the home. Why? Because listen, ladies, if you do, you'll not only get tricked into relinquishing your influential power to shape the next generation, but your family, your husband, your kids who need you will start to fall apart hour after hour after hour. Don't let them trick you into losing that. Okay? Ladies, we need more biblical women, not worldly women we need to get back to being those ladies you do not me praise god uh nurturing supporters okay the second characteristic of a biblical woman is she's a respectful support she's a respectful support and this is clearly what paul talks about in this passage ephesians chapter 5 verse 33 he says so i again i say each man must love his wife as he loves himself and we dealt that in great detail last time but what's it say here loud and clear okay and the wife, what? Maybe if she decides to, if everything's going her way, what's the word? It's an imperative. You must respect your husband if you're going to be God's lady. Okay? Now, once again, we all know that, uh, ladies, you not only have a certain mysteriousness about you, but you've got a certain practicality about you. Have you noticed that? Okay, for instance, uh, apparently one guy said this. Do you know what would have happened if there had been three wise women instead of three wise men? 
Apparently, he says, they would have asked for directions, arrived on time, helped deliver the baby, cleaned the stable, made a casserole, and brought practical gifts. See, man, if you laugh at that, then you're going to score points when you go home. Get into it. Okay, but anyway, I'm here for you. All right. But according to our text, another practical ministry uh, for you ladies, listen, is that you are called, believe it or not, to be a respectful support. It's a fantastic ministry. God has not only wired you to support your families with your nurturing internal care, he's wired you to provide that wonderful internal attitude as well. That wonderful attitude as well, okay? You are to respect your husband's role of being the spiritual leader and subject yourself to his direction. Here's the problem, though. That's clear in the scripture. Even though God has called you to respect your husbands and be those respectful supporters, unfortunately, not all ladies are doing that. And hopefully, you're seeing a pattern. The first reason why is because you got your own natural resistance called the sin nature. The sin nature doesn't want to do it. You see, our, listen, guys, our, you might not like the particular decision your husband is leading and revealing. So what happens is you're tempted to dig in your heels and start rebelling. God's going to tell you what to do, even if you think your husband's going the wrong direction. We'll get to that in a second. But that's a natural tendency uh, that could mess things up. The second reason why is because, once again, that old booger of a sinful society. Society's giving you the wrong message, okay? And what they're out there, listen, telling you ladies not to be respectful supporters... Uh, of God's design for marriage, okay? And what they do is they say, the reason why you shouldn't do that is because there is somehow some sort of unfair discrimination going on, okay? Is what they're trying to say, okay? But here's the point. Uh, uh, Have you guys noticed that the reason why the roles are different for men and women is because men and women are different themselves? How many guys can figure that out without any help even before you get to the potluck? Okay, yeah, yeah, hello. That's why they're different. Okay, but society, that's what they do. Okay, we've seen that God has wired men and women different on purpose. And even though, listen, where our roles are different, each role is equally important. Right? And for some reason, society refuses to see this and instead hones in on the one aspect, the one role of the husband being the leader of the family and declares to you ladies, somehow this is undemocratic. That somehow this is a violation of a woman's value. It has nothing to do with personal value. It has everything to do with positive order. God is a God of order, not chaos. And if you don't have order in something, you are headed for chaos. Okay? And if you got two people trying to lead, you end up with a two-headed monster. Right? We know this in other areas of life. Listen to this. If two generals are barking out two different orders to the exact same troops, what's going to happen? Chaos. Big time. And you're going to lose the battle. If two managers put out two totally different memos in the exact same company, what's going to happen to the employees? You know exactly what I'm talking about, Sonia. Right? Chaos. Confusion, right? So here's the point. Why is it we understand that in the world? Why is it we think we could have two totally independent leaders in the home and not have chaos or confusion? It's crazy. The man is called to lead. Now listen, ladies, here it is. You don't need to worry about that, in essence. As we saw last time, the husband, when he leads, he's supposed to do it in a godly fashion, in a godly way, okay? And the Bible says the way he does that is he is not just making decisions about me, myself, and I, himself, the unholy trinity. It's what's best for the family. And in the meantime, get busy treating you like a precious, delicate, valuable vessel. That's what the text is really saying in this passage here that the feminists get wrong. 
First Peter chapter three, verse seven says, husbands in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. This is what we saw before and treat them with respect as the what? Weaker partner and as heirs with you to the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Okay, as we saw last time, this passage is not saying, ladies, that you are less in value. Listen, in the original Greek, it literally means more precious. That's what it literally means. The weaker vessel means precious. We're a plastic uh, cup. Guys are. You're a fine china goblet. That's what it means by weaker vessel. It's like, no, 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 not like it's inept. You're delicate. You're valuable. You treat this one different than the plastic thing. That's literally what the text says, okay? Okay, now listen. The scripture elevates you and your role in the home as the wife, as the mother, listen, to the status of a queen who sits on her throne and therefore, since you're the queen on the throne, you are to be treated with delicate care, right? That's what the Bible says. Now, here's where you've gotten tricked, ladies. Pay attention. Whether you realize it or not, the lie of society, specifically the lie of feminism, listen, pay attention, has tricked you into stepping down off your queenly throne. And they say you need to do that. You need to lower yourself, step off your throne, and start acting like a man, speaking like a man, being like a man, thinking like a man, competing with the man. Why? Because here's what it's given you. Did you realize by stepping down off your throne, you just train men to treat you like a man? Instead of the queen, the precious vessel, you deserve to be treated like. Believe it or not, folks, Catherine Marshall, she warned about this when feminism was starting to make its inroads back in the 50s. If only we would have listened to her. Ladies, you're getting tricked. Okay, let's go back. This is based on a true story, a reenactment of her life. This is a speech she really did give back in the 50s. And you tell me how different our world would be if we would have listened back then. Let's take a look. And now, if you'll let me, I'd like to talk, as a girl, to the girls here this afternoon. I know if you boys will listen, they'll listen too. And I'm just as sure that the only reason they've been just as rude and silly as you've been is because they have the mistaken idea that you wanted them to be. I never thought much about being a girl until two years ago, when I learned from a man what a wonderful thing it is to be a woman. Until that Sunday morning, I'd considered myself lucky to be living in the 20th century, the century of progress and emancipation, the century when, supposedly, we women came into our own. But I'd forgotten that the emancipation of woman really began with Christianity, when a girl a very young girl, received the greatest honor in history. She was chosen to be the mother of the savior of the world. And when her son grew up and began to teach his way of life, he ushered woman into a new place in human relations. He accorded her a, a dignity she'd never known before and crowned her with such glory that down through the ages, she was revered, protected, and loved Men wanted to think of her as different from themselves, better, made of finer, more delicate clay. It remained for the 20th century, the century of progress, to pull her down from her throne. She wanted equality. For 1900 years, 
She had not been equal. She had been superior. To stand equal with men, naturally she had to step down. Now, being equal with men, she has won all their rights and privileges. The right to get drunk. The right to swear. The right to smoke. The right to work like a man. To think like a man. To act like a man. We've won all this, but how can we feel so triumphant when men no longer feel as romantic about us as they did about our grandmothers? When we've lost something sweet and mysterious, something as, as hard to describe as, as the haunting, wistful fragrance of violets. Of course, these aren't my original thoughts. They're the thoughts I heard that Sunday morning. But from them, some thoughts of my own were born. And the conclusion reached that somewhere along the line, we women got off the track. Poets have become immortal by remembering on paper a girl's smile. But I've never read a poem rhapsodizing over a girl's giggles at a smutty joke. Or I've never heard a man brag that his sweetheart or his wife could drink just as much as he and become just as intoxicated. I've never heard a man say that a girl's mouth was prettier with a cigarette hanging out of it or that her hair smelled divinely of stale tobacco. I'm afraid that's all I have to say. I've never made a speech before. Amen. Not too bad for a first speech. Based on a true story. Catherine Marshall. Can you imagine if we would have listened as a society to her warning 60 years ago? Ladies, how much different it would be for you now. And guys. Ladies, I'm here to encourage you. I'm telling you, we have got to get back. You've got to get back, just like guys got to get back to our role. You have got to get back to what the Bible says and stop listening to what feminism says. You have been tricked, as she just said, into stepping down off your throne. And listen, all you're doing is training men to treat you like a man instead of the queen, the precious, delicate vessel the Bible says you deserve to be treated like. You've been tricked. Now, just again, as a caveat, this does not mean society would say that you've got to now be some sort of blind, mindless slave taking all kinds of abuse. Excuse me? Bible doesn't teach that either. The Bible even says that, listen, if your husband, you believe, is not leading uh, and treating you as a precious vessel in the way uh, that uh, he should, you don't need to push him out of the way and take the lead like feminism says. The Bible says you go to God and you begin to plead. Sick the Holy Spirit on that. That'll get him. Watch this. And this is what the scripture says. I'm not making this up. First Peter chapter three, verse one and two prior to our text clearly says this wise. Okay. Get busy. Respect your husbands. Okay. And obey your husbands in the same way. Now, then the husbands, why should you do that? The husbands who don't obey the word of God. Okay. will want to know God. Why? Because they're going to want to know God because you live good lives. Even though you don't even have to say nothing about God. They're going to see that you live holy lives and you respect your husbands. That's how powerful the ministry it is. The Bible says, ladies, if you're fearful, your husband is not being a very godly leader, then put the fear of God in him by sticking the Lord Jesus Christ on him. 
You don't push them out of the way and take the lead. You go to God. You begin to plead. And listen, ladies, I'll throw this as a caveat. Listen, it's a learning process for us guys. We need your encouraging support. We'll get to that in a second. But you do your thing. And listen, don't you think God, who has called us men to lead, is capable of giving us men the wisdom to lead? He is. You go to God. And you pray. And you intercede for your husband. And God says, you may not see it, but something supernatural is taking place. God's going to start working in your husband's heart. He's going to train him to be that godly man. You just do what he's called you to do. Ladies, we don't need any more worldly women. We need biblical women. Women who will lead in a respectful way. One more to go. The third characteristic is you need to be an encouraging support. You need to, give, let me give you a visual. You're the cheerleader of the home. All right, I was excited about it. And it made somebody's cell phone go off. That's awesome. Praise God. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5 certainly talks about this ministry for all of us. But ladies, we're going to see. I think you're wired specifically for it. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29 says, Don't use foul or abusive language. Okay? Instead, here's what you're supposed to do. Let everything. How much is that? Everything. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be at what? Encouragement to those that hear them. One last time, guys, I'm going to get through your bone. Uh, laugh at this, you might score some points. Okay, uh, we all know that women, you have not only uh, mysterious abilities, you not only got the, these, this practicality about you, but you, you're very unique. Okay, you got these unique abilities that no guy will ever seem to have. Okay, for instance, I've learned that women, you know everything about the children. Have you noticed that? I mean, you guys, you know the dentist appointments, you know the romances, the best friends, uh, you know the favorite foods, the secret fears, the hopes, the dreams, and a guy, we're vaguely aware that some short people are living in the house. You know what I'm saying? That's just kind of deal. So it's pretty unique. You're very unique, okay? But according to our text, I believe, and specifically the way God's wired you, He's given you another unique ministry. And believe it or not, ladies, you're called to be that cheerleader. You're called to be an encouraging support. God has wired you, listen, not to just be that internal nurturing care and that internal respectful attitude, but He wants you, listen, to use your communication skills, listen, to encourage your husband in a discouraging world. You're his cheerleader to help me. You're cheerleading him. Now, even though God's wired you for that, made you for that, called you for that, not all ladies do that. Can anybody guess the first reason why? Sin nature. Whoever said that, you're a genius. That's right, the sin nature. The sin nature, you're seeing a pattern here. You see, even though ladies, you tend to be uh, 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 verbally stronger. Yeah, men are physically stronger, but you tend to be uh, verbally stronger. As we saw before, you tend to have better communication skills earlier on. Okay, but here's the problem. Therefore, in times of conflict, yes, a man can sinfully use his fists and he needs to go to jail for that. I'll just be blunt. I didn't say get a divorce, but he needs to go to jail. Don't put up that baloney. But listen, ladies, sometimes in a conflict, you can sinfully use your words and you also can leave behind bruises or on the inside. And not just the husband, but the kids. The second reason why some women never become these encouraging supporters is once again because of our sinful society. Okay? The media, pay attention, listen ladies, has so downplayed the value of men that most ladies think that men are a bunch of dumb, duped idiots who are easy prey to make fun of. Okay? And that's what they want. They want you to be not encouraging supporters. They want you to be sarcastic shredders. And so now the temptation is doubly hard because you not only got it from this sin nature, but now you got society out there saying that's the thing to do. And most ladies are oblivious to its harmful effects when you do this with your mouth. Let me spill the beans for you. Many ladies wonder why their husbands have 
tune them out over the years. Or they become cold towards them. Or they don't want to spend time with them like they used to in the past. Many ladies wonder why their husband is no longer that soft, cuddly teddy bear that he used to be. And instead he's become sort of a prickly porcupine. The question you need to ask yourself, ladies, with all due respect, is where do you get the quills? Who's jabbing them in them? Where do you get the quills? And ladies, I don't know if you're aware of this, but uh, did you know that nothing improves a man's sense of hearing like a little praise? We'll hear that. Why? Because I'm going to spill the beans. Sorry, guys. You can try not to beat me up too bad at the potluck. I'm going to reveal the guy's secret. Ladies, we'll probably never tell you this, but words of encouragement are like oxygen to our soul. Words of encouragement are like oxygen to our soul. We'll bust our back for you. The whole world could be screaming at us, pulling us apart, saying, you're nothing, no good. But if our wife says, I believe in you, you're awesome. You the man. <laughs> we'll go nuts. You're awesome, ladies. I'm telling you, okay? And this is your choice, okay? Listen, one guy said this. Listen, ladies, you don't need to drive your horse with a whip. Use the oat bag. Okay? Throw my bone. Encourage them. Why? Because here's the truth, folks. People have a way of what you encourage them to be, not what you nag or discourage them to be. People have a way of becoming what you encourage them to be, not what you nag and discourage them to be. It doesn't work that way. And ladies, this is your choice. Either you can verbally support your husband from the heart or you could verbally shred him apart. Now, as we close, because this, I'm telling you, ladies, I just, the guys are probably looking at me weird. How dare you, Pastor Billy, reveal that secret? (laughs) If you don't do anything out of this sermon, ladies, I'm telling you, just with your mouth, just for one day, even if it's kind of funny at first, spend the whole day encouraging your husband. He'll change just like that. Because it's such a powerful ministry, please do the other two that we talked about too, but, but, but I'm going to share with you what I've come across, I believe is the most amazing, true testimony of a woman who was an encouraging support to her husband all her days. It, it's a true story from Dr. E.V. Hill. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he's a pastor, and uh, he had to do his own wife's funeral. Sometimes it happens. And here's what he said about his wife being encouraging support all their marriage. Listen to what he said. He says, On August 29th, 1955, I received my wife, a woman who only God could give. Through my wife, the Lord gave me an encourager. He didn't say anything else but just one thing, an encourager. He said, I'd like to take the time to give you several examples. One time I invested in a service station down in Houston and I lost my shirt. And my wife, one of those rare moments, she said to me, she said, Everett, you don't have time for a service station and I wouldn't put any money in that. And I said, but I want to do it. She said, all right, go right ahead. Well, he said, I lost it all. And I called her and I says, hey, maybe we lost the station. And she said, all right. He said, when I got home, she wasn't at the door. And that was always her position at the door when I got home. And I said, uh-huh, she's pouting because I lost all that money. And I said, baby, where are you? And she said, I'll be out in a little bit. And so finally she came out and he says, now what's wrong? She said, well, I've been figuring up something. And I said, well, what have you been figuring up? And she said, well... I figure that you don't smoke and you don't drink. And if you had smoke and drink, you'd have lost just as much money as you lost on the service station. So six in one hand, half dozen the other, let's forget about it. True story. 
Listen to what he says, though. He said, listen, she could have broken me at that point. She could have broken me. She could have told me, I told you so, but she encouraged me. He said, another time I went home one evening at night and I walked in the door and there were candles everywhere. And I said to her, what meanest thou this? And she said, well, we've been married right about six months and I just thought we'd have a candlelight supper. And I said, that sounds groovy to me. And he, he said, but she forgot to put a candle in the bathroom. So I went into the bathroom and to wash my face and for supper and I turned on the lights, but no lights came on. And then I went into the bedroom and I turned on the lights, but no lights came on. And then I went out and I sat down and I said, baby, they turned the lights off, didn't they? And she began to cry. And she said, you worked so hard and, and we're trying, but it's rough. And, and there wasn't quite enough money to pay the light bill. And I didn't want you to know about it. So I thought we'd just eat by candlelight. And he said, she could have said, I have never been in this shape before. She could have said, I've been reared in the house of Dr. Carruthers and we never had our lights cut off. She could have broken my spirit, he said. She could have ruined me. She could have demoralized me. But he said, she said, let's just eat by candlelight. We'll turn the lights on one day. Somehow, one way or another, we'll get those lights on. But for now, let's just eat by candlelight. And finally, he says, then one week, when I received quite a few death threats in the ministry, and one night I'd received a notice that I would be killed the next day. I woke up the next morning thankful to be alive, but I noticed she was gone. And I looked out the window and I noticed my car was gone. So I got dressed with my robe and I went outside and I just got up to the front porch and she's driving up in the car, in her robe. And I said, where have you been? And she said, true story, his wife, she said, it occurred to me that they might have put a bomb in that car last night. And that if you had gotten in there, you would have been blown up. So I got up and I drove it. It's all right. And he concludes, therefore, as far as wives are concerned, I was one of the richest men on earth. Now that is a godly woman. And can I tell you something? I guarantee you, he treated her like a queen. Because she acted like one. You see how it works together? The man does his thing according to God. The woman, you do your thing according to God. And it's a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. It's a king and queen coming together, enjoying a wonderful kingdom. Has society ripped us off or what? Man. One last thing, ladies, I want to encourage you. Listen, learning to be these biblical women is at the heart of having a fantastic marriage. Because there's one last element. God has not only wired you for this special ministry, but listen, he's given men a natural attraction to every one of these qualities. Pay attention. I'm going to reveal some more secrets. Guys, please be, please be merciful to me at the potluck. Uh, men, most ladies, most men are not drawn to the so-called modern woman. Are you kidding me? It turns us off. We are not drawn to a so-called modern woman who rejects traditional motherhood for her own sinful fancies, but we are drawn to a woman who will use her nurturing influence to mold the next generation for the betterment of society. That gets us going. Most men are not drawn to the independent, demanding, hell-and-ready feminist, but we are drawn to a woman who respects our role as a spiritual leadership and prays for us daily to be that godly man. And most men are not drawn to a loud, sarcastic, Roseanne Barr verbal abuser, but we are attracted to a woman who will use the power of your words to make us want to be a better man. Did you hear the response from the men, ladies? I didn't pay him to do it. 
Ladies, if you can do that, and guys, if we could do what we're called to do, the scripture's very clear. You're back on track in your marriage, and you will have that marriage built to last. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But before you go, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today, that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things with you. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the Bible also says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness is death. In other words, when we die, and it's coming for each one of us, we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, but it's going to happen. The Bible says, therefore, since the wages of our sin is death, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and not to heaven. And that's bad enough, but to make matters worse, we don't want to admit this. God already knows. He knows uh, all of our behavior, everything, our thoughts, what we've done, what even we're going to do. He knows it all. He's gone. Even though he already knows this, we don't want to admit this. And so out of love and mercy, God gave us something called his law or the Ten Commandments. It's kind of like his x-ray into our heart to show us what he already knows, that he is holy and that we are not. And it's this unholiness or sin that separates us from him. Let's take a look at God's x-ray, if you will, his divine law, to show us what he already knows. The Ten Commandments, uh, the ninth one, says this, you shall not bear false witness. Okay, that's called lying. Okay, and if you've ever told a lie once, which we all have, myself included, the Bible says that makes you a liar. Okay? The, the, another commandment says, you shall not steal. Okay? Uh, and you might think, well, that's something that everybody does. Well, it doesn't make it right, and it demonstrates what God is trying to show us, that uh, we all have sin, and it's separating us from him. Even if you took a pencil in the third grade from somebody, if you did it without permission... That's stealing. And so now you've become a thief. The Bible says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And how interesting it is and unfortunate that the only name under heaven by which men might be saved, the name Jesus Christ, has now become a common cuss word. The Bible says that God is so holy that even his name is holy. If you've taken the Lord's name in vain and used it as a cuss word or even flippantly, the Bible calls that the sin of blasphemy. And so now you become a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus says if you even look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. And finally, the Bible says uh, you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? Well, again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred is the same as the sin of murder. The only difference is you pulled the trigger, if you will, in your heart, you wish they were dead. And in God's eyes, it's the same thing in principle. Folks, that's only just a couple of the Ten Commandments. We didn't even go through all of them. But I think you're starting to get the picture. The Bible is correct. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, myself included. And that we are separated from God as a result. And so when our time comes, we're not automatically going to heaven. We are headed for judgment. We are headed for hell. Now let me tell you the good news. The good news is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to save us. Jesus Christ died on the cross. It was the death penalty of its day. He paid in full 
the price for our sins to be forgiven. Let me give you an analogy. For instance, even today, we could see that a person could commit a crime. Uh, they, they cannot reverse it. The, the sentence has been passed. The judge has uh, slammed his gavel, and they are ushered off into their jail cell. And in this particular crime, they are going to receive the death penalty. And so they're behind bars just waiting for the time, waiting for the call for them to go and uh, receive the death penalty. But believe it or not, as we know, there is a way that a person can get off a death row. And that is if the one in authority, the governor, would grant them a pardon. Now, they didn't earn it. Uh, They certainly don't deserve it. And there's nothing they could do uh, to earn it because nothing can reverse their crime. Okay? Yet the one in authority has that ability to grant them a pardon. Well, can I tell you something? That's what God has done through Jesus Christ. The cross was the death penalty of the day. God sent his one and only son to die on the cross, to take the death penalty in our place, and that if we would just receive his pardon for all of our sins, God is willing to allow us to get off a death row. He's willing to forgive us completely of all of our sins. That's the good news that I want to share with you. God loves you. The Bible says that God is not willing that anyone should perish, but everyone come to repentance. Won't you, if that's you, call upon the name of Jesus Christ right now? Won't you ask him to forgive you of your sins? The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Won't you do that now, wherever you are? Please, take God up on his amazing, loving offer. I'll let you down. Man will let you down. People will let you down. But God never will. He wants to adopt you into his forever family. He loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done, past, present, and future. It's amazing. Please, call upon Jesus now. Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church. If there's anything that we can do for you, please don't hesitate to ask. Our number and information will come up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.